Well, today is Pentecost Sunday, and we, we mentioned that earlier this morning. It's been 50 days since Passover. You know, during that time, we've, we've seen you know, Jesus celebrate the Passover with his disciples. He was arrested. He was tried and then unjustly crucified on the cross. Um, three days later, he was risen from the dead, and then he walked with the disciples for 40 days. Um, he, he ascended up into heaven, but before he left, he promised that he was going to send the Holy Spirit to his church. A couple, 10 days later after that is Pentecost. And uh, we celebrate that to remember during this, this 50 days of activity, all of the things that God had done in the Old Testament, he had given us these examples of the festivals and the tabernacle and, and the sacrifices, all of them pointing to this 50 days where his son would be crucified for our sins, raised, ascended into heaven, and the Holy Spirit would come. It was a turning point in the history of this world. You know, there were, up until this time, the, the relationship that man had with God was, was broken. We were, were separated by our sin, and the only way to have a relationship with him was through regular sacrifices. Uh, going to the temple, it was, it was very restrictive. And so I wanted to read in Acts chapter 2, just as an introduction of this day, Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as fire, as a fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And, and so that was the day that the, the promise of the Father, the gift that he had promised to be given to us, was fulfilled. From that day on, life for this world changed, especially for the church, for those who believe the Holy Spirit came and, and dwelt a body of people in a way that had never been done before, clear back to the garden days. And so I just to, as, as part of talking about Pentecost, I wanted to take us clear back to Genesis and kind of lead up to this day. And I really appreciate the sermons that Pastor John's been preaching. The, the sermon that um, Dr. Bate preached last Sunday was amazing. All of these things leading up to the day of Pentecost and what this means for us as a church today. And so in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And from the very beginning, the Spirit of God was engaged in this world. You know, that, that word hovering over the waters, it, it has an, the idea of energizing, bringing order, bringing life to. And so he was, he was actively involved in the creation of this world. Being formless and void wasn't bad, it's, but it was like a, a, a slab of marble that a, a master architect looks at and sees the statue inside and just needs to chisel away until he gets his creation. And so all of the building blocks of God's creation was there in the beginning when he, when he spoke it into being. And as he went through the creation process and spoke, he spoke light, he spoke land, he spoke separation of the water, he spoke birds and animals. And then there was a special creation that was different than him speaking and saying, this is good. He actually formed the man out of the dirt. He, he breathed into the man life. It was like his hands-on activity of creating human because this world was created for us. All of the things he spoke. And it's amazing when you consider the, the vastness of the universe that 
we shoot rockets up and it takes so long for them to get into to the moon. And you think about how long it would take them to get further out to Mars and, and it, it feels infinite, the distance of this universe, but God said, let there be, and it was. And, and it's, just, it's just amazing to think how big our God is. But then when it came to our human bodies, his, his power was, was manifested in him forming us in the dirt and breathing life into us. We are a special part of his creation. It's kind of an amazing thing. He, we were designed to be with him. It, it, it will talk in Genesis how uh, the man and the woman walked with God in the garden, that he was there with them, with his, his personal presence, was in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. In verses, or chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, It says, the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So God created this amazing place for Adam and Eve to live with everything they could ever want. He gave them a job to do that wasn't tedious. Any, any fruit that was pleasing to die, they could just go out and have it. They just went out and tended the garden. I love to plant things and cause, help them to grow. It's hard work. I, I can attest to it in my physical body. My muscles in my arms are sore. My legs are sore. My back is sore. I've been digging in my ground, and it's not this really nice, soft soil that you'd find in the Midwest that's easy to till. There are these big rocks down there, and you have to kind of wedge, the, pull them out, and pull the rocks and throw them down the hill. It's, it's hard work, and I'll tell you, there's, there's something that happens on my forehead as a result of that. It starts to sweat. My whole body is, is just, it's hard work. And so this garden that Adam and Eve was in was the opposite of that. It was, it was perfect. It was this amazing place. But then something happened where this, these two trees that God said, don't eat of these. They're not bad trees. They're, they're just but you're not supposed to eat of these trees. They listened to the serpent and ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And all of a sudden, they were made aware of something that they had never known before. And they were ashamed. They, had, they were naked in the garden, had no shame. There wasn't anything to be embarrassed about. But all of a sudden, husband and wife, Adam and Eve, were embarrassed. And they ran and they hid themselves and they tried to cover themselves with leaves and they tried to fashion coverings for themselves. And it was like, you know, God came walking into the garden. He's like, what, what, what's going on here? What, what's happening? And they're like, you know, we're, we're embarrassed. Like, who told you you were naked? They, they had eaten of the tree. And then, of course, we, you know, Pastor John talked about it, how, you know, he, God talks to Adam. He's like, oh, my wife made me do it. And God talks to his wife. The serpent made me do it. And, and it, all this blame, the relationship between man and wife was broken that day by the act of sin, by them eating of the fruit, that relationship that was whole and perfect was broken. Does anybody here have that perfect relationship with their spouse? Or is there sometimes some trials that occur? Right? It's, it's broken. And it's a result of what happened in the Garden of Eden, this, this, this wonderful place that God had created for us to live in, all of a sudden changed. And so in, in chapter 3, verse 19... It says, by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from, from it you are taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife, let me see, 
I actually wanted to read verse 24, sorry. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So this garden that God had created for Adam and Eve to live in, all of a sudden God said, your relationship to your spouse is going to change. Your relationship to this earth is going to change. You are going to be driven out of this place. And like, like me digging in my ground, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to work this ground until someday you are going to die. There's never been a person who's lived in this world who hasn't died except this current generation of people. And if, if God gives this world another 100 years, guess what? We're all going to be fertilizer in the ground. It's just the way things are. There is, there is no escape from this earth. Unless the Lord returns and resurrects us up into heaven, the end of our life is death. And it's because of all of what happened back here when man sinned against God by eating the fruit. Death entered the world. I like how Romans uh, describes it in Romans 6.23. And I'm going to read half of the verse, and then later I'm going to share the second half. But he says, for the wages of sin is death. He recaptures what God is talking to Adam, the judgment that came upon the man and the woman. Their childbirth was going to be painful, probably wasn't going to be painful before that. Um, all of these things that happened to him, the, the ultimate wages of sin is death. And we know that you know, Adam and Eve, they lived for a long time, 900 years later, he, but he died. You know, he, he couldn't escape death. Eventually death caught up with him and he died. And his children died and all the people after him, they all died. And so the wages of sin is death. And then if in our, you know, Paul was talking to the Romans, so this real logical thing, well, if, if wages, something you earn, you know, you, you earned this wage of death by acting in sin, how do you earn life? Well, maybe we earn life by doing good deeds, right? Wouldn't that seem like a logical thing? We did bad things, therefore we got death. Wouldn't it seem logical that we have to do good things to get life? That's not the case. There's no good deed that we can do that can ever cover the multitude of our sins. There's, there's nothing. You could try to live the perfect life and be the most generous person with people and, and go out and feed the poor and go out and clothe the naked. You could do all of those things. None of that would be good enough to save you from the results of the sin that's in your life. It, it's, not a, it's not an equivalent relationship. The wages of sin is death. The wages of good life is life. That's... That's not how it works. Our sin, the wages of that sin is death. There's nothing that can take away our sin from ourselves except a sacrifice. And it has to be a pure and holy sacrifice. And we ourselves are not pure or holy, are we? In and of ourselves. So if I die, guess what? That's justice for my sins, right? That doesn't cover my sins. That's just a result. That's what I've earned because I'm a sinner is to die. But the neat thing about Romans 6, it doesn't stop with death. He goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life. We don't earn it. God gives us a gift. We don't deserve it. You know, we give our, do we give our kids presents at Christmas time because they deserve presents? We do it because we love them. They didn't earn the presents at Christmas times. People, people love, if you love someone else, you do things for people. You'd provide gifts to them. So, so God provided this gift that we could never earn in and of ourselves. We could never work hard enough. We could never do enough to, to prove God we deserve it. But he said, I love you so much. I'm going to provide a sacrifice for you. 
And, and the first picture of that we see in the Bible is in verse 21. I, I think it's a, in chapter 3. I think it's a really important passage. It says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Why did he do that? They were ashamed. They were embarrassed because they were uncovered. And it's interesting that God had to kill some animals, take their skin, make clothes for Adam and Eve, so that their embarrassment could be covered. Isn't that interesting? Animals were already sacrificed at this time to provide a covering for the embarrassment caused by sin. So at the very beginning, we see this precedent as you, as you walk through scripture, something has to die innocent so that the sin can be covered up. And you'll see this in the tabernacle. Um, it, and I'm, I'm not gonna read from those passages of scripture, but it's like they, they, they sacrifice animals, they apply blood to the altar, and they apply blood to this and the, the, for the priests. And everything in that whole worship system had to be covered with blood to purify it so that we could go into the presence of God in that, in that vehicle that provided God's presence to his people to go in and be with him and not be smote down for our sin. God cannot be in the presence of sin, and so he provided the way through sacrifice that people could come and worship him. And so as I transition to the New Testament, um, there's an unnatural separation that exists in this world between man and God. You realize that the way things are right now is an unnatural state. We look at the Look at nature, it's like, oh, this is so natural, everything's so wonderful. It's not. The animals out there are t attacking and killing each other, and things, things get to the end of their lives. They don't just lay down and die. They starve to death or they're killed. There's a battle out there, and, and we look at this world. If you go out into the woods, you're not just going to go, oh, this is a wonderful life. You have to work to live out there, and you work hard or you'll die, and so but right now, this is an unnatural separation. This is not the Garden of Eden. This is a beautiful place. I'm not, don't, don't get me wrong. This is an amazingly beautiful place that God has created. But it's not a natural environment that used to exist. Wouldn't it have been something if we had been able to indwell the whole world without sin? What this place could look like? It would be totally different than this. It may be the same natural wonders, but without the death. Right? without the, the chaos and the brokenness and, the, and the, everything that goes on out there. And so this is an unnatural separation. And I think about an illustration of some polar bears. And they're such beautiful animals, right? Pure white, running through the snow. Beautiful. You've, always, you've all seen them on TV, right? The first polar bear I ever saw in person was at the San Diego Zoo. And I, I looked at that polar bear and, and you know, it was saved. It, was, it would have probably been, it was probably a cub somewhere that was uh, orphaned and would have died in the wilderness. So they saved and they brought it to the San Diego Zoo. It couldn't have survived in the wilderness. And they created this beautiful environment. And, you know, there's rocks and fake ice and this big pond where the polar bear can jump off the rocks and swim down. And you can stand by the glass that swims right past you. And it's awesome. But it's like, when you look at it, it's like, it, this isn't its natural habitat. They've done the best that they could creating this habitat for this polar bear, but it's not the natural inhabitant of this polar bear. And it doesn't look the same as if it could just roam wild. And it's kind of like that for us. Because of sin, we're no longer free range in this beautiful environment and looking the way that we should. This, this world, we're, we're in, a, in a place that's unnatural to us. 
the natural place is to be in the presence of God. That's what God designed mankind to have is a direct personal relationship with him. Sin has created a separation between mankind and God that is not natural. And so through, through all of these things that God is going to do in the Old Testament leading up to the death of his son on the cross is to restore a natural relationship with him. A relationship that's unfettered by sin, unbroken by the, the trespasses of our lives. Restoring us back so that judgment's not upon us. And so God is going to restore us back to a natural relationship with him, removing the separation. And one of these days, the amazing cool thing is that he's going to come back for us and we're going to actually live with him. All of this sin that we deal with on a daily basis, we struggle with, we fight with our bodies, that's going to go away. There's a, there's, a better, there's, a, there's a greater rest ahead for us than what we're already experiencing. We have a rest because we've entered into Christ, but there's another rest that's coming that's like the fulfillment of all that God is going to do when he restores us to himself. And we know that we're not in the complete rest when we get sick, right? Complete rest does not have sickness in it. Just the fact that we get sick and we die is a recognition that the full rest that God has promised to us has not gotten here yet. It's still ahead. And so we have something to look forward to and hope for. It's pretty cool. So I'd like to move to Hebrews chapter 9. And this kind of talks about what the Old Testament is doing. And it's some of my favorite passages of the Bible are in the book of Hebrews because it takes what the Old Testament was talking about and brings it into like what it means in the church, what God was trying to tell people through his, his uh, you know, the sacrifices and through the festivals and through the tabernacle and explain, this is what I was intending for you to understand by those things. And so Hebrews chapter 9, verse 19. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So that's kind of what I was just talking about, right? God provided a way for us to be with him. In verse 27, it goes on to say, and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment, so Christ also having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. That's what I was talking about. He's coming again. That's kind of exciting, isn't it? All of this stuff we go through on a day-to-day basis, the weakness of our body. And, you know, as I get a little older and older, I'm still pretty young, but as I get older, I, I notice that, you know, I'm not running quite as fast as I did when I was 21. And I'm, I'm not maybe as strong as when I was a logger you know, when I was 22 and 23 and the, the things I used to be able to do, my body just isn't able to do that. Partly because I'm, I've been a little bit lazy, but partly because my body's getting older, right? And as I get older, you know, 10 more years, I'm going to notice something different about my body. And 10 more years after that, I'll probably notice a little more. And if, I, if, I, if I'm graced with the ability to get to into the 80s and 90s, I'll probably notice I'm not the same person as I was even here. And it's as the body declines, though, it's, it will remind me that there's a no body for me. You know, my body's going to be uh, transformed like a, 
butterfly coming out of the cocoon from this weak, frail, broken, degrading thing that I am to this amazing, perfect, immortal body that God is going to give us a new name that we get in heaven. Isn't that something to look forward to too? He has a name for us that we don't even know yet. There's a lot to look forward to. In chapter 8, verse 10 of Hebrews, he says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law, <clears throat> my law into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And so all of the things that God was doing in the Old Testament was to allow his presence to be with his people and for his word to be spoken to his people. It, that was God gave them the law, and he gave them the tabernacle. He gave them the covenant of his, of his presence and said, this is my word, this is how you're to live so that you're different than all the nations, so that you can live with me and not be destroyed. And this is my tabernacle. And, and we see God's physical presence came down into the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, there were rooms. There's the holiest of holies was inside of a curtain. Then there was a holy place that the high priest could go into once a year. And then there was an outer court that was surrounded by, you know, a, 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 basically a wall. It was, it was cloth wall. But people could go in there. Men could go in there, but no one else could. So there was, there was these different, the different layers of separation to the tabernacle, to the altar where God's presence was. Even in the tabernacle, there was still this, this separation that existed between his people. No random person could just walk into the altar without dying. You had to go through this process. You had to be the high priest to be able to go the furthest into that presence. Um, something changed, though, on the day of Pentecost. And, and here is this, he's talking about in Hebrews, a new covenant is going to happen. He gave you the physical law. It was written down. He gave you the tabernacle. But there's going to come a time when God's word would be written on our hearts. It would be put in our minds through the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a different kind of a covenant. It's not based on things that, that we can't live up to. The Spirit will give us the ability to live up to his word. It's kind of amazing, kind of amazing thing. So then back in Acts chapter 2, we're getting to the conclusion here. In Acts chapter 2, verse 17, the, Peter quotes the prophet Joel. It's one of, the, one of the most amazing scriptures from my perspective that, that God gives in the Old Testament and then he reveals in the New Testament what he's talking about. He says, And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit on all flesh. You know, we, we've, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit's involvement uh, in, the, in the world over the last you know, four or five Sundays, seven Sundays. You know, in the beginning, he was involved in creation. And then all of a sudden, there was a separation caused by sin. And then we see that God came into people to help build the tabernacle and gave them gifts specific individuals. Later on, he came into the judges to deliver Israel. After that, he provided the spirit upon kings and prophets to provide his word, to provide leadership to his people to follow the Lord. But all of these, all of these advents of the spirit were on specific people. It wasn't the whole nation of Israel. It was like the only specific people to give God's word to them, help them to know how they were supposed to live. And then all of a sudden we move into the New Testament, the blood of Jesus Christ was shed the perfect sacrifice, the one that was greater than all of the animal sacrifices of all of history, his blood was shed, pure and holy and complete. It satisfies all of God's requirements. And all of a sudden now, in the last days, 
as a result of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God will be poured out on all flesh. Not like the Old Testament where only certain people, men could go into the temple, women weren't allowed to go into the certain parts. It's like there were these separations. It's totally different now. None of that exists anymore. He says uh, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond servants, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. So who's excluded from this? This promise that God is speaking about. No one is. As long as you believe in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God can come into you, and he does come into you. As soon as you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the the Spirit of the living God indwells you. We're not separated from God anymore. Now, what can separate us from God? Death, tribulation, trials, all all this. No power, no authority in this world can separate us from God's presence because he lives inside of us. That's the new covenant. That's what was the culmination of all that Jesus began to do in his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection, was completed in the coming of the Holy Spirit. Not just a partial time that he came down once and went away. He came to dwell in us forever, to individuals, not just special people, prophets and kings, um, special people that knew God, all people, men, women, children, old people, servants, masters, whoever you are, it doesn't matter your station in this world, Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter the Spirit of God was given to dwell in you. And that's kind of an amazing thing. We're not left as, Jesus said he, he's not going to leave us as orphans in this world. He's going to provide the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, we adopted a little boy. It's, it's special to us to know what it's like to take a child that could not live on its own, that had nobody, and to be able to raise that child. That's what God has done for us. He took us who had no ability in ourselves to survive, and he gave us a home. He gave us a life. He gave us love. And that's kind of a special thing. In verse 23, he says, This man, Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross and by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Death could not hold him down. The grave could not hold Jesus down. It was not a permanent place for him. God raised him from the grave because God is more powerful than death. He is greater than death. He lives in us. Is there anything to fear? Death, sickness, people in this world that might come against us? God is more powerful than death. Could you imagine the disciples? I'm just a step back. You know, Jesus was raised from the dead. He's walking around with them. And they're like, hey, Jesus. Are you going to restore the kingdom now? <laughs> you know, what kind of army could stand against Jesus? He raised from the dead. What, what are you going to kill him again? Raised from the dead. The followers of him, are they going to be able to be killed? They didn't know for sure what it was going to be like. If you have the, the God over death as your general, what do you have to fear? You know, we're going to take over this place. It, you can almost see this thinking and when, they're, when they're thinking like, oh, man, this is the trump card. Like, you know, who's, who can come against the God who raised Jesus from the dead? There's, there's nothing. They were anticipating it, but they didn't realize it was going to be a while before Jesus came back as the conquering king on a white stallion. 
and, and his judgment brought to this earth. That was going to be thousands of years later, but the spirit was going to indwell them. Verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He's, he's not only the Lord, which means he's the master, he's overall, he's the ruler, but he's also the Christ, which is the anointed Messiah, the one that God promised was going to come and save his people. This Jesus, that was his earthly name. That was the name he was given as a child, Jesus. He is Lord and Christ. He's the ruler of all things. He's the savior of our lives. This man who was crucified. He goes on to say, now, when they heard this, this is the people listening to Peter preach. They were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Isn't that a good question to ask? That's probably the best question that anyone could ask at that time. We killed Jesus. He's the master of the universe. What are we going to do? How, how, do we, how do we respond to this? Are we dead? Yeah. Are we going to cast us away? Peter said to them, repent. means turn away from your sin. Turn from that. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive. Not you might receive, you could receive. If you work really hard at it, you might get the Holy Spirit gift. If you repent and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and baptize, you will receive the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not a conditional statement. It's an absolute statement. You will. I think that's kind of cool to know, right? Have you believed in Jesus? Have you asked him to be your Lord and Savior? Have you repented of your sins? The Spirit is in you. You've received the gift. That's kind of cool. And, and the, the thing that makes this, like, for me, the, my, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, it wasn't just for these 3,000 people standing there listening to Peter that day, but he goes on and says, for the promise, the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise is for you, and your children, and for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. That's cool. That is amazing. It wasn't just for Jewish people. In fact, the, what happened in the church is they, they set up ministry in Jerusalem, right? They started there. Some people went out to Judea, some went up to Samaria, but they kind of stayed there for a little while and then, until persecution happened. And then it says the whole church was driven out into the whole world. The people that had learned from Peter and the disciples and had congregated his church, they became missionaries from the places they used to live. They went out and the gospel spread over the whole world. Uh, that's kind of amazing. And so that gift, as they preached the gospel about Jesus Christ, and as people put their faith in Jesus Christ, they too received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And throughout history, century after century after century, this gospel has been preached from person to person, from, from family member to family member, from stranger to stranger, from friend to enemy. The gospel has been preached and people have put their faith in Jesus Christ. They too have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? Someone preached that gospel to me. Someone told me about Jesus Christ. Someone, someone told me that I was a sinner. I, I didn't even kind of, I, I grew up in the church, right? 
I, all of a sudden, there was a time in Sunday school, I remember sitting there, where they talked about the sin of man, the sinfulness of our nature, and I realized, I'm a sinner. I, I, all of a sudden, it dawned on me. I need to ask Jesus Christ to come into my heart and to be my Savior, to be my Lord. And that morning at that church, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I was innocent before, you know, for years I was innocent because I didn't know right and wrong. But there was a moment when I knew I was wrong. I knew that I was a sinner. And at that moment, I was, it was grateful to be in a place where someone would preach the good news to me. And guess what? I received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Even though I was just a little tiny kid, maybe five years old, four or five. And God has been with me throughout my life, through good times and bad. I was, there was one time in my life that we got hired to be pastors up in Healy. It was our first, first real big church, a big church of like nine people, right? But it was a, it was a real church. You know, the, the church I was at was before was a chapel. We'd been there for a year and a half. I was going to be the pastor of this church, and I decided to take my car up on the ferry. And we got out in the Gulf of Alaska, 45-foot swelling waves, and the ferry was going back and forth and banging and banging and banging. And I got sick. I, I used to get sick a lot when I was a kid. I thought I got over it, but I got sick. I was sick for 12 hours across the Gulf of Alaska during that storm. It was really bad. I could barely lay in one spot where my, I wasn't motion sick until I would thrust me. And then I was motion sick and I'd leap into the bathroom for a moment and then I'd go lay down for 12 hours. And I, I sat there and I was contemplating the Lord, saying, Lord, when I left Yakutat, I, I thought it was really cool that there were waves. I said, Lord, wouldn't it be nice to have some waves? I love watching the curtains do this on the wall. It was so cool, walking down the hallways back and forth. I love it. And I was like, Lord, it'd be great to have some waves. Thank you, Lord. I was like, Lord, I prayed for waves. I'm, I'm ready to pray that it's calm again. I, I remember what you did on the Sea of Galilee, right? Peace be still. I'm praying it. I'm believing it. Peace be still. 12 hours of not peace be still. I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm going to pastor church. You've called me clearly. I know where I'm going. I know where I'm supposed to be. And I'm in the middle of a storm. And in the midst of all of that, God brought to my mind the sparrow. And it was my first sermon that I preached to that church, the sparrow. So there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground, but God sees it and cares. How much greater are you than this sparrow? It's like, thank you, Lord. He loves us. He loves us in a very special way. He loves us so much that he sent his son into the world to die for the world. Whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He loved us so much that after that process of his son dying, being resurrected and ascended in heaven, he sent us his Holy Spirit so that we would not be orphans. Our God loves us so much. Isn't that amazing? He is a good God. He is a good God. Let's close in prayer. And if you haven't asked Jesus Christ into your heart yet, this is a really good time to do that. It's not hard. All you have to do is say, Jesus, come into my life. I know I'm a sinner, but I know that you provided the forgiveness of my sins. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for this Pentecost Sunday, for the gift that you've given us. 
Not just a gift that's way back in history, but it's a gift for today. It's a gift that your Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The God of the universe, you love us so much that you live inside of us. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of sins that we can even be in your presence at all. And Lord, we know that you care for us. This is just as the little sparrows, you see them all over the world. You see all the animals in the world and you care about your creation and you, you care about what they're going through. But humans, even more so, you care about us. When we're in a sickness, when we're unwell, when we're going through tribulations, your eyes are upon us, your presence is with us and you care for us in ways that we can't even imagine. And so Lord, this morning, I, I just pray that you would reach out by your Holy Spirit and and that you would remind people how much you love them. That it would become so real in their hearts that day by day as we walk in this world, we're not walking alone. We're not by ourselves. We're not facing the struggles in our own strength. But your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of, that created this universe is in us. There's nothing that we need to fear. There's nothing that can come against us that we won't overcome because you are there with us. The battle is not ours. The battle is yours. And so, Lord, this morning, I just pray again that your spirit would rest upon your church. In this room and in this valley around this world, that your spirit would rest upon people and that you would fill them with your gifts, that you would fill them with your word to speak into the community, that people that don't know you would see the light of Jesus Christ and that you would save them from their sins and that the gift would transfer again to more people. We thank you, Lord. Go with this church this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. I thank you, amen. Worship team.